This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Broncos, by benefit of winning five consecutive games, have earned the ability to control their own destiny to a certain extent. They beat the Houston Texans, and they'll find themselves in a very favorable spot towards the playoffs. Not not in it yet. There's still plenty of work to do, but they would find themselves with a favorable schedule. Four of the five remaining teams on their schedule would have losing records. They would find themselves ostensibly uh, within at least a tie, although a lot of the tiebreakers due to the early performance for the team are not in their favor, but they would find themselves in a pretty good situation. Right now, you're talking about in the AFC, the Houston Texas is the eight seed if they were to seed all the way to the bottom, and the Broncos as the ninth. And yes, you have to be cognizant of the fact the Buffalo Bills could get right and get hot at any time. They're behind both of them at the number 10 spot. But for the Broncos, there are some other games to keep an eye on this week that are really impactful and in certain cases, they're not all the long shots, Sandy, because uh, other big games in the AFC this week, you, you look at the, the the one that's the most impactful right off the bat, at least for the Broncos' chances, is the team they just beat. The Browns take on the Rams in L.A. The Rams are a three-and-a-half-point favorite after watching the, the game against the Broncos. Were they to win, the Browns, who were 7-4, and four, now all of a sudden, were the Broncos to win, they can drop e- uh, even with them, and they'd have the tiebreaker with head-to-head. Yeah, head. yeah, true. So that's a really impactful game. <clears throat> no, so, they'd, they'd pass Houston, and they pass Cleveland if Cleveland if loses. If Cleveland loses, and, the and right now and, the Rams And, and I want to maybe push back a little on the idea that Buffalo could get hot. Next game, now they have a bye, I think, this week. Yes. At Kansas City, uh, that's they will lose. Home against Dallas, they uh, will lose. They will probably lose that, too. Yeah. They will be 6-8. and eight. Then they go to the Chargers, and you say, well, Chargers are bad. Chargers are bad. Justin Herbert's one of the best five or six quarterbacks in the NFL, again this year, the way he's always been. And among those guys who've been a little up and down, yes, there's that. But he's had a better year than Patrick Mahomes. They're had. four and Mahomes, seven. I know, yeah, but buried. he's dangerous. Sure. Okay? Oh, sure. And Buffalo doesn't play any defense anymore. They have so many injuries, and everybody keeps talking about the guys who aren't playing. I'm talking about Vaughn Miller, who is technically active but can't play. Really can't and shouldn't be out there. Probably shouldn't. Shouldn't be out there. And his injury was not only season-threatening for this season, though it took place last year. It's career-threatening injury. I I can't see him bouncing back. There's no sign that he – you hardly ever see him. Against Denver, he hardly played. Right. And so, even from there, uh, okay, they've got one game left against Miami. In Miami. Loss. The one game they'll win, for sure, the rest of the year is home against New England. Well, that puts you in good shape. So, they'll, they'll, they, it, I don't even think you count Buffalo and Beat Cincinnati. Houston, you would take that tiebreaker. If Cleveland were to lose to the Rams, and the Rams are favored, then you would also, and we're predicating all of this, by the way, on the Broncos getting a win, and it's worth noting that the Broncos are not favored. The Texans are three-and-a-half-point favorites to to win the game. Yeah, that's too much. At, at home. That's, that's I, too much. I agree Three with you. points for home field advantage, but they're giving Houston a half point? Another Beyond half point. the three? Come on now. Yeah. So that that's But that's what they have it at. But let's assume the Broncos win. Now, if the Rams win, you find yourself in really good shape. You could hop two teams ahead of you in one shot. The other one that's interesting is the Colts at the Titans, and that is a one, the Colts are a one-point favorite. But as we know now, Jonathan Taylor's had surgery. He's not going to play for at least a couple of weeks. 
The Colts currently at 6-5, and five, same as the Broncos, hold that tiebreaker over Denver with their win percentage in conference games. But were the Colts to lose a conference game, plus just losing to go to 6-6 six and six, and the Broncos win and go to 7-5, and five, those two results alone were the Titans to win and the Rams to win, along with the Broncos. The Broncos could hop the Texans, the Colts, and the Browns in one yeah. weekend. Wouldn't that be nice? And that would be a, a remarkable I, situation. I, 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 it's I, not I, that I, unrealistic. You know when you're on a roll like this, it seems like you get breaks. And we talked about how healthy the Broncos have been, getting healthier and healthier and healthier if Kareem Jackson would stop getting suspended. And he's going and talking and, to Roger Goodell, yeah, apparently asking how to play good football luck. now. Good, and, good luck with that. Yeah, I don't think I'm sure Roger go. Goodell will spend hours with him telling him how to play football. Um, the... Every team they play now seems to have an injury that crops up from the previous week that's a key injury on the offensive line for Houston. Yeah. Key injury this week to a valuable player. He'll be replaced by a guy who just returned from injured reserve himself. And that's obviously a, a good sign for the Broncos. You don't want to deal with with injuries, but injuries happen, and nobody has any sympathy for them. That means the Broncos as well. But the Broncos find themselves in, in a spot where they are rather healthy. Yeah. And and the injury, we're talking about Titus Howard here, missing the, the rest of the season for them. And, uh, look, he's been a, a pretty big part of what they've been doing. Now, uh, unfortunately, he missed the first four games with a broken hand and then uh, uh, ends up getting hurt here and will miss the rest of the season. It's always next man up, but you can only lose so many players, and that's how it shakes out. So if the Broncos were to win this, they're in remarkable shape. Now, it's probably a bridge too far to hope that the Cardinals would knock off the Steelers in Pittsburgh. That's one of the teams ahead of the Broncos as well. I don't suspect. they say, taint happen. Yeah, that's not likely to occur. But some of the other outcomes uh, that would be helpful were the Chargers, as you mentioned, uh, playing, you know, very baffling football, but a good quarterback in Herbert. Chargers are favored by six on the road against the Patriots, where the Patriots to somehow pull off the upset. That would help the Broncos as well, but you obviously can't count on that. The Patriots are terrible. And all of the talking up there in Foxborough is about the next team that Bill Belichick's going to be coaching because you the presumption really is, is it's not the Patriots. It really is. So that's part of that equation. And it, it isn't just you say, well, it's Boston and they, no. they make stuff up. I feel like they, this, no, is, this is happening. This, is, this the end. is really, really bad. This is the end. And some of the decisions he's made, I I, I just don't get it. If it were anybody else, you, you'd say, why, why is he still coaching? The question is, is he going to be done after this year? Does he hang? up and just well waltz into the hall or uh, ben voiland of the boston globe who i i i don't think is great but i think he's pretty good um football columnist boston globe Mm -hmm. covers the patriots and he claimed to have talked to people around the league yep who say that the a coach who all of a sudden seems strangely dysfunctional and an organization we know to be dysfunctional mm-hmm. might make for a marriage, maybe not well, a happy one, but a marriage in Carolina isn't there. And uh, David Tepper has plenty of money and he can roll the dump truck up to, to Bill Belichick. Look, that's the kind of move though, right? That those kind of owners make you walk in, I think so. you have a ton of money. You're angry so. about this. Uh, yeah. There's been reports that Tepper literally has had plays that he wanted, that he's sent down and said, this play oh, needs to absolutely. be run at some those point reports, during the game. 
have the added advantage of being true. Right. That's exactly Those what's type happened. of owners love just throwing a bunch of money at a Bill Belichick and saying, yeah, we're going to make this work. Uh, would Belichick Just don't it? name Belichick the GM. I know they're going to yeah. fire their GM. I don't, don't know. Na- don't, don't give Belichick all uh, the power. New money in the NFL, the commanders would presumably be interested. And obviously, if you like a team that looks ready-made to win, uh, I do think that it's probably over after the next loss for the Chargers for Brandon Staley. Yeah, and who knows? I, I that agree. could happen this week. I don't you know. know. And, and, and Belichick and could be in the mix. that wouldn't be a bad place for Belichick. I really don't think that the would be a bad place is, for The question is, what I suspect will happen is the next time Staley loses, he they move on and they make Kellen Moore the interim head coach I to find out if Kellen Moore that. gets the job for good. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Kellen Moore will have a chance. Yeah, a Belichick you know is an opportunity there. They're four and seven. The season's over now. I mean, it's it's like, well, if you're going to do it, you should have done it weeks ago when you were still in the mix. And, you know, name Kellen Moore the the head coach. You know, I know in Washington there, there's been some talk that maybe it isn't as loud now that Del Rio's been dismissed along with the defensive secondary coach, but there was talk that within a week of Thanksgiving after that 45-10 loss, Eric Bieniemy would take over they're, from they're Ron Rivera. Eight. Well, I, I think I think quite frankly, at some point, whether it's the end of the season or even before, well, it'll the, happen at the end. I of the do year. think Eric Bieniemy will take over yes. for Ron Rivera, I, I, and I think and he I will think do that, so on a permanent listen, basis. I, I think you and I know the league well enough. I don't think it's going to be interrupted. Talk to enough people around the league to to know that I I think maybe not so explicitly, but kind of an implicit part of letting Harris in as the owner was the reminder that you're taking over a franchise that has done great damage to the league uh, and you will be hiring a blackhead coach in the not too distant future. Ron Rivera is a minority. You know, and, and, but Harris one didn't inherit Ron Rivera, but but here's the reason or did inherit Ron Rivera. He didn't hire him. And two, I I think the enemy in Washington, uh, Solves a lot of problems for the league it's, as they attempt well, to defend themselves in court. Yeah, but you, I'm talking about on field. I'm not worried about Eric Bieniemy off field. That's something else for, well, no, for the no, league. I'm I not talking about, about Bieniemy off the field. Sam Howell I, being the I, league's I, leading passer. Okay. Well, Sam Howell is the is the league's that, leading passer yardage. in yards. That's yards. That's yards, and that's they throw all the time, and he gets sacked all the time. It's, he should do. He's the Shador Sanders. In many NFL. ways, he is fifty-five uh, sacks. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't think but, you but can no, ignore no, the work no, the enemy's done. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not suggesting that you can ignore his work. I'm not even suggesting that his off-field problems. I'm talking about the enemy's off-field problems, not Washington's off-field problems. The enemy's off-field problems, which I think have prevented him from being hired in the up past. To now. Yes, I think that's but a factor. I think Goodell knows all about that, and he. Basically, uh, I mean, Harris brought in the enemy. Correct. Right? And so I think it's pretty obvious that the idea was to have the enemy brought in one year as coordinator, name the head coach. That That's the idea. I mean, uh, and maybe unless, even Harris's own idea. Unless things were lights out. Okay. I mean, if they turned the corner and they were great, okay. But, that was never going to happen. That wasn't like that. was never going to happen. Right. Rivera has been a dead man walking all year. Yes. And I think uh, even the Rivera- notion, the notion that Ron Rivera fired Jack Del Rio is comical. Nobody's buying that. Even though Rivera tried to make it out that way in public, everybody knows who fired Jack Del Rio and it wasn't Ron Rivera. It was the owner telling Ron Rivera, you're going to call the defense and you're going to fire. Uh, this is what I'm telling you to do. 
You're going to fire Del Rio. You're going to fire the secondary coach because the secondary is a mess. And you're going to call the defense, and then we're going to fire you at the end of the year. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what's going to happen. So Biennemi will get his shot in Washington, I think which so. is a good place for Biennemi to get his shot. Well, and, and the, the, their position, too, they're not in a spot. Nowhere to, pick, to go but up. They also are not in a spot to pick another quarterback, to add anybody. Sam Howell's probably the guy next year for them, too. They're kind of stuck. Uh, they're just good enough to be stuck. And at least with Biennemi and Howell, you know that there is uh, – some how there. can you lose twice to the New York Giants? It, how, as you imagine how easy. bad you have to be. And even the Giants and the Bears, although their records are the same, the Giants and the Bears are better than Washington. The only teams, perhaps in the entire league, below Washington are Arizona, Carolina, and New England. That's all. And I'm not sure Washington could beat all those teams, depending on the circumstances. I'm not sure of that. I kind of like Howell, and, you know, of the five losses the Broncos took in the first six games, to me, the most inexplicable one was the Washington loss. Yeah, it was. More so than the Raiders, we more so than lead. even the Jets. Yeah. Losing to Washington with a big lead? And not being able to get much pressure on Sam Howell. I mean, I know that was a long time ago. That was week two. Right. I get that it's week 13 now and much has changed around here. But I think at the end of the year, the Broncos will rue those losses. And more than any other loss, the Washington loss. And you can say, well, they beat the Bears when they were way behind. So maybe it's a wash. But they should have won both games, right? Yeah, and instead they won one and lost one. Boy, we'd be talking about a totally different season, wouldn't we? May come back to bite them. The only thing about going one and one against those two teams is that they're both NFC teams, so it didn't hurt them in tiebreakers. Right, lose to those. Right, and that means this week they have an opportunity again. You know, we talked about it. If things go right, they can hop three different teams and put themselves into playoff position with a win and a little luck. And there are some other games that matter, but. Uh, you know, with the the Chargers being two games behind them, you don't sweat them. It's it is really in this case. If you're a Broncos fan this week, you're you're also a Rams fan and you're also a Titans fan. And uh, you know, I wouldn't count on it with the Cardinals, but I guess no harm done. But the Rams, I the wouldn't Titans, count on it with the Titans either. And the but, and the Rams are a three and a half point know. favorite. The Titans are only one point underdogs yeah. against a Colts team that's going to be reeling with the loss uh, of uh, Taylor, yeah. who's been instrumental yeah. but, to their last two you know, wins. One of the unsung coaching jobs this year is Shane Steichen in yeah, Indianapolis. Certainly. So he's he's kept that team together. I mean, they cut a guy who was, I think, all pro a year Shaq two Leonard. back in, in, in Leonard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I want to get this in. The Broncos, according to the Athletics NFL data analyst Austin Mock, have a schedule that's tied for 12th hardest Remaining schedule tied wow. twelve hardest in the league. As I mentioned, they only have one team left of the winning the record. Strength after the strength of schedule metric. Well, yeah, but so does everybody else. Uh, it, it, the strength of schedule metric takes into account his model's rating of every remaining team in the schedule. The team's rating is derived from play-by-play data and uses metrics like expected points added, success rate, and many others. Of the six teams in a wild card picture within a game of Denver on either side, Steelers 
Browns, Colts, Texans, Bills, and Bengals. Only Buffalo, as I illustrated earlier, toughest schedule in the league remaining. I mean, Kansas City at Dallas next two games. Yeah, that's rough. They will be six and eight. They will be done. Um, only Buffalo with a hardest schedule and Cincinnati, number 10, have more difficult remaining and schedules. They're, they're out of it too. Pittsburgh, obviously. Pittsburgh has an easy schedule, number 24. Cleveland has an easy schedule, number 25. The easiest schedules are Houston's, number 26, and Indy's, number 28. And, of course, Denver's so, part of that. <laughs> Denver's number 12. I mean, They're part on. of Houston's That's, easy schedule uh, at this point. Well, yeah. Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, at least they're a winning team. But but Houston's got, uh, after Denver, Houston's got all these, these winnable games. Yeah. And, and – so that's why the game but is why, so important. Yeah, you have to win it and they get that tiebreaker. That's why it's so because, important. Yeah, they, they because, yeah, they go on the Houston, road to Houston and then to Tennessee, both road well, games, and then at home against Cleveland and Tennessee again, and then they finish it uh, at well, Indy. Houston's got after Denver. They're at the Jets, right. at Tennessee, it, at the Jets. Oh, Aaron Rodgers he's practicing. is coming back. Yeah. He's practicing. Uh, the Jets are fools even if the they let Jets, him play. Even fools. the Jets are saying after 21 days, unlikely. He will be active. What, Even the Jets. No reason to, to play. I mean, this is just Aaron Rodgers on an ego trip. And we, yeah. We know all about that. Uh, but Cleveland at home for Houston, Tennessee at home, those are wins. Uh, at Indy, you know, that's probably one or the other will go to the playoffs. The winner will go and the loser will go home. Well, the Broncos are probably okay with that because right now Indy and, and yeah. Houston are both ahead of them. So knocking yeah. one down the, is great. And, and, and I know you're – you're at least slightly scoffing at me for this, but two games against Justin Herbert, and I know the history. Oh, Herbert think, has not played great against the Broncos. I don't think sweep the Chargers. But two games against a 4-17. and 17 Division rival? With no. Justin Herbert, a quarterback, do not guarantee two wins no. against a 4-17. I'd be surprised if the Broncos did. I think they split those. I think that's just the reality of it. I think they split those. And if you're the Broncos, look, you're 6-5. and five, That's great. But you were one in five. Well, so you can't take you anything. You figure they'll lose to Detroit, and the trick is probably you can't lose any other games, including the one upcoming with Houston. If probably that's the not. case, if you lose in Detroit and you split with the Chargers, nine and eight yep. in this conference, uh, I don't think yeah. it's going to get. You'd it. have to. You'd have to win the rest. Your conference record's just not going to be good enough. Well, on the bright side, in not too long, we'll turn it over because uh, we have our program on Wednesdays that Sandy does with uh, Dr. Rick Perea. So we'll take a. Moment to step aside. We'll take a look at what's going on tonight when we get back, and then we'll make sure we toss it to Sandy and the Good Doctor uh, soon enough coming up on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar. On Mile High Sports. It is a Wednesday, which means we, well, this Wednesday, we'd like to talk about uh, mental health as well. We do that every week with Dr. Rick Priya. Sandy and Dr. Rick have their own uh, segments of programs coming up. That comes up in just a couple minutes. So uh, make sure you tune in to that. And of course, if you miss any part of it, you can always go to MileHighSports.com or the free Mile High Sports app, and you can download it and get your checkup from the neck up with Dr. Rick Priya. And Sandy, it is well, well worth a listen, not only for, uh, yourself for performance but also look it's you know it's the holidays uh 
that can be tough a little bit. Be honest about it. You know, you can get those blues, and uh, there's ways to think about that as well. So a lot to hear uh, from Sandy and Dr. Rick. I'm looking forward to hearing it myself. But tonight, Sandy, we take a look at uh, some big-time basketball. We've looked at the, the Broncos, and we'll continue to break that down. Tomorrow we'll break down the high school playoffs with Dan Mormon. On Friday, Mick Miller of uh, Fox 31 will join us to look at the Broncos game as well. But tonight, basketball. The Nuggets get back at it. Good news on the health side. It sounds like with Jalen Pickett being sent to Grand Rapids that Jamal Murray's return is at least imminent, if yeah. not tonight. Right. Good news on the uh, Aaron Gordon front, the Nikola Jokic front, as you've pointed out. Also good news on this front against the Rockets, who they haven't beaten yet in two games. But um, it the Rockets don't, good. don't play the same way on the road as they play at home. Although they played a very good road game last night in Dallas, lost by six. Uh, Doncic had 41 points, nine rebounds, nine assists, uh, and was every bit that effective. <laughs> uh, Kyrie Irving manages to be a big-time minus player, even on nights like last surprise, night where he scores surprise, 27. Because he doesn't guard anybody. Right. Nothing new there. The big game and Doncic really locally, doesn't besides either, the, the champs, of course, is the rare matchup between the Buffs and the Rams. It'll be yep. on national TV, CBS Sports Network, 7 o'clock. We have two TVs to watch your basketball tonight. Rams 5, uh, pardon me, the Buffs 5-1 and one visiting the 6-0 and o Rams, ranked 20th in the nation. Isn't that something? I, I saw that crazy result, and I said they're going to be game. ranked, but I didn't think they'd be ranked 20. I can't wait to see this game. I, I am I am absolutely fascinated. Great stuff going on in college basketball in town. Make sure you check that out as well. Of course, we'll break it all down tomorrow as we get back. But uh, we'll step aside as Dr. P comes over, Dr. Rick Perea from thinkoneforyou.org, and Sandy will get together for a little bit of Wellness Wednesday. Make sure you check that out. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes everything work. Thank to you for listening, whether it was on the FM or HD or MyLifeSports.com or the app. Seriously, just make it easy for yourself. I know you have one of those phones. Just grab the app. It's a piece of cake. And then you can get everything that we put together over here as well. But looking forward to hearing what's up next. It is Wellness Wednesday. Sandy Clough, he's sticking around. I'm Sean Drotar. I'm leaving. We'll vacate for Dr. Rick Perea. Keep it right here on My Life Sports. Greetings and welcome to yet another edition of our Wellness Wednesday podcast, Check Up from the Neck Up with Dr. Rick Perea. I'm Sandy Clough, Dr. Perea, of course, by my side as always, and we uh, welcome you to our first post-Thanksgiving yes. edition of yes. Wellness Wednesdays, our Check Up from the Neck Up on a weekly basis. Uh, we can be heard, of course, on Mile High Sports every Wednesday afternoon at this uh, very time, every single Wednesday throughout the course of the year. Uh, we took Thanksgiving off last week. We, we did. Uh, we did not uh, yep. uh, put out our podcast last week, but it is available, of course, via milehighsports.com anytime you choose to uh, listen. And uh, the great Danny Bailey is at the controls, so we are off and running for yet another week. And another week means another win for the all-of-a-sudden-resurgent Denver Broncos, who have won five games in a row for the first time since you were the performance psychologist for the Denver Broncos yes. back yeah. in 2015. Yeah. First five-game winning streak in eight years. Eight years. Denver. It's gone fast. It, it's it's a little bit surprising, isn't it, after a one-and-five start? You were on the inside, very much so. Oh, yeah. Very much so, because oh, yeah. the 2015 team, 
started with wins yep. and didn't stop for quite some time. Right. In fact, I think the first loss came in either October or early November that year, yeah. as I recall. There weren't a lot of losses that year. Only nope. four along the way, and two or three of them came fairly late uh, in the season. So this is obviously a different situation. But from what you know of the 2015 experience from the inside yeah. and what you are observing now from a further remove on the outside, are there any similarities from the neck up between the 15 Broncos and the 23 Broncos that you can point to? Yeah, I think definitely. I think there's a culture shift. I think, you know, when we see a product on the field that there's a change, um, you can always look back at the origin. We call it the etiology, the origin of behavior or performance. There's something that changes. There's something that shifts. You look at the defense. The defense is more accountable. Their gap responsibility on the defensive line, the linebackers are free and they're flowing to the ball. Coverages aren't blown as much as they were earlier in the season. So that's a culture shift, and that's among coaches. It can be among head coaches, position coaches, coordinators. But also front office. I think what you've seen is this leadership team, this ownership team, is now starting to get a little bit of traction that they've had a few weeks there. And someone might say, well, what can ownership impact? Yeah, that was going to be my question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm going to tell you something. Ownership can have a big impact. I've seen it up close. Um, I saw it in Miami with Stephen Ross and the Miami Dolphins when I worked for them. And Stephen would come in, fly in on Thursday night before a Sunday game. And that Friday – um, he would impart his knowledge. He would impart his wisdom. He would talk to us in, in executive meetings about the culture he wanted to establish. And it was very clear what he wanted to establish. So, yeah, I think there's been a definite culture shift. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Denver's going to run the table from here on out. Each, you know, because if you look at their turnover ratio and some of those stats, some of them are not in high probability they're going to continue the way they have. So, Denver is really going to have to still fight and work for all their W's. But I think it's a good sign for the future in terms of there's been a culture shift from the top, and we'll just see how, how far it goes this year. But I think it looks good in the future for, for Bronco fans going forward because that's what we had in 2015, Sandy, was we had everybody in line. You know, John Elway is the GM, Gary Kubiak is the head coach, and then me as the team psychologist. We, we all worked together. We'd known each other since 1983 when we were rookies. So there was there was a, a lot of congruence there. And so I think that's really what it takes. What struck me about 2015, looking back on it, mm -hmm. again, from the outside and sure. we're on the inside. But what struck me was that uh, the team understood where its strengths were and where its weaknesses were and played complementary football. Yes. Virtually throughout the season. This team in the last six weeks, five games, including the bye week, that would be six weeks has played complementary football in much the same way. It sounds crazy to say after the week three disaster in Miami, but the strength of this team is now on defense, right. much as the strength of the 2015 team yeah. was on the defensive side of the ball. And when the offense didn't put the defense in bad positions with turnovers, the Broncos won consistently in sure. 2015. Yeah, In the last five games, the Broncos win consistently when the offense doesn't turn the ball over and the defense takes it away and puts the offense in good position to succeed. And by not turning the ball over, 
uh, the defense is defending long fields, not short fields. And the Broncos have taken the ball away 16 times during the five-game winning streak, 15 times in the past four. And in the last six games, remarkably, the Broncos defense has given up nine touchdowns. In Miami, in one game, in week three, the Broncos gave up 10 touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. Well, you remember about week five, week six, Denver released a few players, a few edge players, um, and they flat out released them. They didn't trade them. They didn't try to, you know, move them. Frank Clark, Randy Gregory. Yeah, and 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 you know, and I'm not saying those guys are cancers because I know at least one of them's landed on another team. Randy Gregory has, and uh, hopefully prominently he's, with the 49ers. Yeah. He's playing a lot and yeah. playing well. But see, every every climate and culture of every team is different. He wasn't a fit for here, and that's something that people need to understand. It's like the 2015 team, you know, without naming names, we had players on defense that weren't a fit, and they kind of naturally spit themselves out. You know, I, I remember one time in practice, Aqib Tlaib, of all people, um, we had this, we brought this new safety in off of free agency, um, and Aqib let him know very clearly that when you, when you, um, run out of play you go full speed and we don't we don't you know we don't drag our you know what in in practice and I thought that was a great sign that you know it wasn't a coach that needed to see that and it was a key that held him accountable and I think that's what's starting to happen with this defense is there's a lot of accountability and like I said some of the players have spit themselves out and what I meant by that is they've forced people to remove them and so those guys are gone. That include that increases the play time for the guys behind them. And you've seen some of the young blood on the edge, um, Benito, a few players like that that are really productive and playing well. I think that makes the overall defense much more healthy from an internal competition perspective. And then, you know, once the offense and the defense start playing off each other, that complementary football, they go into a zone. They go into a, a place where they start feeding off each other and really appreciating each other, not only as teammates, but as people. That's that's the highest level of cohesion, Sandy. You know, we measure that. There's task cohesion, which means people do their job, and then there's social cohesion. And when you reach a level of social cohesion on a football team, that's when you got a chance to really reach your true potential. Coaches talk all the time about how the best players play. Yeah. Not the highest paid players, but the best players yeah. play. I've noticed that in the most recent game against Cleveland, only 11 defensive players made more than half the snaps. Only 11. Yeah. Not 14, not 15. Right. Only 11. Certain guys are playing because they've earned the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's in theory what competitive sports is about is you put the best players on the field – to provide the best product and that gives you the best opportunity to win. Um, you know, now if you go down to the high school level and college level, it doesn't always happen that way. There's a lot of different variables, but at the NFL level, yeah, coaches want to win. Coaches want to get their contracts renewed. So they want to put the best players on the field that give them the best chance to win. McMillan, uh, Moreau. These are guys we barely heard of coming out of camp. Yep. Mathis, seemed to be a fixture, even if he didn't play particularly well, at the corner opposite Satan. Mathis doesn't get in games anymore. Right. Moreau and McMillan are playing 
80 to 90% of the snaps. Yeah. Kareem Jackson gets himself suspended. Locke is coming off an ankle injury. He replaces him and plays almost three quarters of the snaps the other day. I mean, there's a lot of creativity, whether it's the head coach or the defensive coordinator initiating that in the way they're mixing and matching personnel groups. I thought Nick Benito had a terrific game the other day. He played well under 50% of the snaps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting with Nick because to me, he's a very much an impact player. He's an explosive player off the edge. And, you know, a lot of times coaches, you know, will put kids in a paradigm or they will structure them or label them as, you know, an explosive player. So he's more of a third down player. He's going to play on third and long. But I think that can limit some players because, you know what? Some of these kids are not only explosive against the pass, but they're very explosive against the run. One of the things that Von Miller brought, and I don't think he got enough credit for this because he got so many sacks, Von could play the run. He could literally play the run. He could take on that tight end, take the chip, keep his hips and shoulders square to the line of scrimmage and feather off it and make a tackle on a quick toss. Not a lot of edge guys with his kind of impact can do it. But Nick Benito, I think, is a guy that's more of a three-down player than I think the Broncos even give him credit for. We've got three six-and-five teams in the AFC right now. One would be in the playoffs on the basis of tiebreakers. Mm -hmm. That would be Indianapolis. Then you have Houston and Denver who are playing this Sunday as the other two six-and-five teams. It seems that while the loser is certainly not dead, that the winner would be a favorite maybe a co-favorite to make the playoffs Yeah, as that last qualifying team, the loser would have a lot of work to do and would need a lot of help from other teams. And of course you'd lose the tiebreaker to Houston based on the head to head loss. If sure. you're the Broncos and from Houston's point of view, obviously the same would be true. If the Broncos beat Houston, Houston is dead on tiebreakers with Denver. Yeah. One of the teams almost certainly that they'll have to beat out to make the playoffs. Yeah. So from a psychological point of view, you've got a rookie quarterback who's playing out of his mind, mm -hmm. big time stats yeah. virtually across the board. Then you have a veteran quarterback who has become the consummate game manager, certainly a psychological adjustment. Sure. But would you say it would be significant as seems to be the case that Russell Wilson decided at some point prior to six weeks ago that, you know what, if I want to regain my stature, my hall of fame credentials, <laughs> I got to yeah. be part of a winning program. Sure. I don't need great stats. Great stats won't do it yeah. without the wins. So some of his stats are great. Some of his stats are pretty ordinary. Overall, his stats don't compare favorably with Stroud. What is the reason to like Denver so much than on Sunday? As I think a lot of people do, Houston's a favorite, right? but not a big favorite, as Houston almost certainly would have been five, six weeks ago. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that Denver has gone for is, like I said, they've had a cultural shift. And I think Russell Wilson, like you said, has has really sat down and made a conscious decision to, you know, play at a higher level. And, and part of that is, you know, I think the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, 
and here's another thing people don't realize quarterback coaches spend a lot of time with these quarterbacks you know they they're in the room together and then they break out into with the offensive coordinator so the quarterbacks actually spend more time with their quarterback coaches than with any other coach on the team and it's, it's something happened in that room now whether it was egocentric from russell wilson that i need to do x y and z or it was more systemic from the team in terms of saying hey we're going to change the way we approach the way you you lead this team the play calling and we expect you to comport yourself in a way because i can tell you one thing when russell wilson takes off now it's a different takeoff than it was before there were it's times more decisive. Oh, he's absolutely. He's not running around in circles anymore right. as he was no, last year. When he decides to take off, he's gone. He's and, gone. And it's like one progression, maybe two. Right. But then he's gone. Then he's gone. And he makes that decision and he goes. Whereas before, he would spin around in the in the pocket. Literally. Spin literally. Around. Literally. <laughs> Run around in circles. <laughs> right. Back and, to the line and, of scrimmage. And oftentimes get sacked and even give up the ball, fumble the ball. Right. But now it's more definitive. So I think the, I like the Broncos going down to Houston because they've had a cultural shift, and I believe they'll continue to see that. And, again, the defense, let's give Vance some some credit, VJ. You know, I mean, to, to withstand the, the hurricane-like wins from a 70 to uh, – what was it, 70 to 3? 70 to nothing? What was it? 70 to 20. Oh, that's right. I, I, why was I thinking? But then nobody, nobody remembers but, the twenty. I know nobody Everybody remembers the, score. the seventy. But the seventy, the 70 was historic, right? But Vance has withstood that, and yeah. he's withstood the scrutiny, including from me, the nonverbal uh, stuff yeah. that that we've talked about. Sure. But, but ironically, I think that's helped him in the long in the long run. But I think Denver is really on a run. But that C.J. Stroud kid can play. I'm going to oh. tell you something right now. From the neck up, and the coach can coach. Yeah, you know the coach. Yeah, absolutely. From the neck up, he's one of the best I've seen in a while as a rookie. Even though he flunked all the uh, yeah, that's cognitive okay. tests, yeah. which is a subject for another day. Yeah. Uh, the subject for this day, of course, is our uh, checkup from the neck up on Wellness Wednesday. And Dr. Rick Perea is uh, a superior performance psychologist known nationwide on a variety of fronts. I've known uh, Dr. Rick Perea for almost a decade now, and he's the best in the business. You get your checkup from the neck up from Dr. Perea here on Mile High Sports every Wednesday. And, of course, as mentioned, he's the former psychologist, the world champion Broncos back in 2015. He's worked with the Rockies, the world champion Nuggets. Dr. P also helps middle and high school performers to reach peak levels. So whether you're an everyday performer at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P at 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933. Or look them up at Dr. P at thinkone4u.org. That's the number four, thinkone4u.org. He's improved my mental health and he'll do the same thing for you. I want to switch gears a little bit because something happened even in roughly the week that has separated uh, uh, the two of us from being on the air together. We yeah. were last on the air uh, last Tuesday. Of course, we didn't do this podcast last week, and now we're back again. Samuel Girard, a defenseman for the Colorado Avalanche, uh, basically came out last week and spoke about his mental health challenges and that he is checking into a league facility for treatment. Uh, the first headline on his decision to seek treatment 
implied that it was alcohol related mm -hmm. and only alcohol related. Samuel Gerard released a statement saying, well, yes, alcohol abuse did take place, but only after months and months of suffering from anxiety slash mm. depression. I thought that took tremendous courage sure. on his part to come forth in the manner that he did. He didn't have to say anything. Right. Uh, it, nobody ever had to know yeah. that he was in the program. He volunteered that information. The league isn't going to say who's in their program or who's not in their program. Uh, he had to make that announcement, and it earned him tremendous uh, praise from his teammates in the locker room who understand all about mental health as increasingly athletes do. Yeah. And gave him credit, enormous credit, for having the strength and the courage to come forward in the manner that he did. And by doing so, he is helping people, something you tell a lot of people yeah. who, whom you're close to when they speak about mental health issues, you always say you have no idea how many people you're helping yeah. when you speak out. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing I want people to understand that are listening to this and viewing this is that whether it's alcohol or drugs or food or relationships or buying things, I mean, some people are shopaholics. They just buy things and they don't even take the tags off at home. There's got closets so full of new new clothes and they never intend to wear them. They just get the rush off of buying it. Is is they're medicating. They're medicating the pain, the anxiety, the the stress that they're feeling. So it's never just someone's an alcoholic or they're a drug addict. They're medicating for a reason. And I want everyone out there to understand that we all feel pain. We all feel anxiety. Pain we all is feel inevitable. Stress. It, it's inevitable. But suffering is a choice. Yeah, it's a and choice. Samuel Gerard made the decision to stop the suffering. Right. And and we have a choice at the way that we react to stress, the way we react to anxiety. You know, I think people look at anxiety and think, oh, well, I'm experiencing anxiety. But we have a choice of how we respond to that. We can smoke weed. We can smoke whatever tie stick. We can drink alcohol. We can chew tobacco. We can do whatever we want. Or we can get help the way that will help us long term. So it's it's like we got a 1090 rule. Life is 10% of what happens. That's the alcohol. And then 90% of how we respond to it. That's the way we treat it. So people need to understand that it's not that if we're addicted to alcohol or drugs or food. It's that we're medicating the pain, yes. the anxiety, exactly and the stress right. that we're feeling. Exactly and, and, and you know what? I just want to say this, yeah. too. It's okay if you are in pain. That makes you human, okay? <laughs> that makes you absolutely human. It's okay if you're feeling anxiety. That makes you part of the homeo, homeostatic place that we live in this life. We are people that have emotions, Sandy, and there's so much going on on a daily basis that it's inevitable that we're going to feel stressed at times. So don't ever be shy to, to admit that you are going through pain, you are going through anxiety because you know what? The person standing across from you, sitting across from you, sitting across maybe the dinner table from you is experiencing it as well. I always tell parents this. They'll say, oh, Johnny or Susie, they're just, they're doing so well. They're getting straight A's and they have no, no issues. And I said, yes, they do. You just may not know about them. All of us have challenges. All of us have issues and it's okay to not be okay. Just raise your hand and get help. And once you do that, 
then you've really opened up a level of vulnerability that will bring you a lot of peace and harmony going forward. I, I want to shift gears before we close out today uh, up to Boulder. And uh, in recent days, there's been very little good news uh, yeah. coming out of the Colorado football program. And much of the bad news is centered on uh, young men, yes. teenagers who have chosen not to renege on a commitment, but to, as they say, decommit, yep. which opens up other options for them. And again, at the risk of being flippant about this, maybe Deion Sanders has to learn the difference between a commitment and a binding contract because yeah. he doesn't seem to understand that there is one. Yeah. Well, I think the fact that we have kids decommitting and let's be, let's be, let's be uh, fair to Dion. Um, that happens every day all over the nation at different sure. schools. Oh, I absolutely. think it gets illuminated because it's CU. But I also do and think – And it also gets illuminated because he says, well, a commitment is a commitment, yeah. and the NCAA should prohibit those who have committed from visiting other schools. Right. Well, I know. but And see, then he goes on to that's say, not realistic. well, we didn't lose anybody we really wanted. Either. Oh, my gosh. I didn't so, hear that. Uh, yeah, see, yeah. see, to me, that, that's the challenge I have with Dion, Sandy, is he keeps – he keeps, in my estimation, he keeps putting his foot in his mouth. Like, you know, you cannot say those things. You may want to think them and right. believe them that a lot of coaches do, but you can't say those things. You know, again, I know some kids that are up there that are true freshmen up there, and they're not going to stay either. And, you know, he, I don't think he knows that yet, but it, it's that Dion communicates in a way where it's there's a lack of filters there. There's a lack of, to me, a maturity there. Like he said something the other day that I thought you would never in a million years find a mature coach that would say what he just said. And I just I just think that he needs to understand that, you know, he's got coaches, quote unquote, decommitting now, too. <laughs> you know, so I and I think that Dion will has learned a lot this first year of what he can say and what he thinks. That doesn't equate to always be the same thing. Just because you're thinking it, you need to say it. He can be very pragmatic. He can be very dogmatic, even to the point of accountability. But you can't be hurtful. These are adolescents. These kids, they'll be adolescents till they're 25. And they don't always understand the difference between your intent and the receiving of the message that you send. So we've got to be very careful. We call it encoding the way we encode a message so the, the athlete can decode it in a way where they're not harmed. Because, you know, these little adolescent brains – they think they're there forever. They think that they're committed to the black and gold. And they turn around and find out this guy can get rid of you just on a snap of a, a heartbeat. Well, that's right. And, and I think a kid looks at that and says, I I'm not going to put myself in a position of vulnerability. I'm going to take the initiative and look at what my other options might sure. be. Now, some of these kids are committed for 25 or were, mm -hmm. and that isn't as big an issue. But for next year, Colorado at the moment has eight commitments. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, that's not a lot. And I know recruiting services are wrong all the time, but they basically say Colorado's recruiting resembles the quality of their play in 2023. There may be a slightly below average team that's doing about average work on the recruiting trail. Yeah. Not above average, not below average, just 
average. Right. Well, and here's the other thing to think about. Um, Dion's, you know, four, three, four, five star. I don't really give that a lot of value because that's based on how many offers you get. Right. And some of those offers are legitimate. Some of them are what they call a facade offer. But they're, they're skilled position guys. Always. Right. Always, rarely does he get a lineman, a defensive lineman, a not linebacker. a four star, five. No, star. no, it's it's rare. Offensive the, line, I'm not aware for 24 or 25 that they have a four yeah. star commitment, and that's or where a you, five star. You know, the line of scrimmage is where you win and lose games. I mean, it it, it still is. Even and the when, transfer portal won't help building no. an offensive line. And even when you when you run the spread, it's still the offensive line, mm -hmm. the defensive line, the front seven is really what wins and loses games. And you know, I don't. I have no doubt that he's he's recruiting really well from the skill position. Yes, I see. Secondary that. wide receiver, yeah. running back, especially receiver, running back, those type of positions. Um, but in terms of the front seven, I I don't see him doing that. But I I think the one thing I'd love to see Dion do is just kind of reflect, learn from this year, learn what you can say in terms of being a leader. Um, you know, because I I just think that he has said some things this year that have been very immature, very um, dogmatic. Um, he says things like from an emotional, psychological place that he doesn't have a knowledge base in. And, and the reason I say that is because I do have a knowledge base in it. And I'm going to call him on it because you can't say things that are not, are not accurate. I just, I'm not going to let that go. Um, just like I wouldn't talk about things that I, I don't know about computers, okay? I wouldn't talk about computers. I wouldn't talk about car engines. I don't know anything about it. So don't make don't make comments on psychological and emotional topics that you're not astute on because I, I can poke holes all through with what you're saying. So, um, but other than that, I love his energy. I love his passion for the game, but he's just got to mature quite a bit to me if he's going to build a program from the ground up. And as we close out today, a reminder that when we think of Colorado and Colorado State athletics in particular, we think of the football programs that the athletic department is defined by the quality of the football programs. I just want to remind people that this week, Colorado and Colorado State play. The men, the women at CSU are undefeated. The CU women have lost once and are ranked still in the top 10 nationally. We have only a handful of programs who can boast that about both men and women's basketball yeah. that they're succeeding. CU men are just outside the top 25, and uh, the CSU men are ranked number 20 after being number eight Creighton last week. What a game that's going to be this week, and we'll talk more about that along with other subjects when we reconvene a week from today. This has been Wellness Wednesday. Check up from the neck up with Dr. Rick Perea. I'm Sandy Clough. We'll see you next week.